Make sure you check out our online store where we work with our graphic designer to create stunning garment and product designs that feature a wide variety of aircraft types such as British fighters, World War II aircraft, American bombers, Russian fighters and much more. You can pick your favourite designs and personalise any items within our Redbubble store that range from clothing right the way through to stationery. All of our designs feature our logo so you can show your support for the channel while getting a quality product. You can head to our website aircrewinterview.tv and click store or go to redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash AC interview. Thank you and enjoy. First time I managed, uh, came against the uh, RAF F4, having left it in 1988, was on the workup for Gulf War One. Um, I was part of the Leeming Wing at the time. I was on 23 Squadron, and we were part of the composite wing that was being put together to deploy out to Dharan um, to basically run, uh, provide air defence. Uh, we had to work quite hard to get the aircraft up to a reasonable standard. That's another political element. They weren't there where they should be, but there was all sort of sort of extras coming in under uh, the uh, uh, the UR, um, so the urgent operational requirement. And we also had to work up um, to a to a uh, a level that would enable us to take the op on. Now, part of that was for the uh, Watersham Wing and principally 56 Squadron uh, to help us out to provide some DACT dissimilar air combat training. And they deployed six, it might have been eight jets up to Leeming and they stayed with us for about a week. Wow. Um, and we did concentrated work. And it was not just 23, there was elements from 25 Squadron, elements from 11. So they were quite busy. So it was quite interesting to go back against an aircraft that I had flown for a number of years earlier probably around then we, we were talking about august into september of 1990 by that stage the f3 i reckon had caught up with the phantom the phantom hadn't got any worse it hadn't been improved it hadn't got anything extra but the f3 was on an upward uh, trajectory and i would assess that it had about equal or passed the f4 operationally at that point in my opinion um DCT, uh, the 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 uh, the bit that everybody likes to talk about is the end game when you're visually manoeuvring, but in any engagement it starts out at range, and to just talk about the end game, the visual manoeuvring is a bit like to talk about a boxing match, but let's just talk about a three round boxing match, but let's just talk about the last round. You're kind of discounting what's happened in round one and round two. Equivalent with a with an, an air to air engagement, round one is BVR long range tactics, hopefully getting some weapons away. Round two is the radar to visual transition, assuming you're going to accept a merge and you go to it. And then round three is the visual merge. So I'll, I'll go over the three bits, but I'll obviously stress the visual maneuvering at the end because that's that's the sexy bit. Mm -hmm. Um, at range against the RAF Phantoms, the F3 in 1990 already had an edge. That edge was the radar. Now, some people might laugh because, of course, the Fox Hunter, the AI-24, had a terrible introduction to service and had a bad reputation. In fact, had a reputation that stuck to it for far too long. 
and people were very keen to talk about blue circle radars and all that rubbish that happened in the early years. But they were always ready to put the aircraft down. By 1990, we were operating with the Z-list, which was a standard, an interim standard of radar, which I would assess was already equal to the AUG-1112, which were in the Phantoms. Wow. Why? Because of the information being given to the, the backseater in terms of trackwall scan and the, the TAC display, the plan display, our situation awareness was much, much better than the Phantom already at that stage. Now, it wasn't perfect. And in fact, we went to war with the Stage 1. And the Stage 1 radar brought in much more hands-on throttle and stick, the F-18 stick top that remained with the jet for the rest of its life. At this point, I'm talking about that it wasn't there and the weapon selection was much more difficult Mm -hmm. and a little bit Heath Robinson. But I'll come back to that. So in the long range, and the other thing I should say, weapon-wise, we were exactly the same. We both, uh, by the Phantom and the F3, we both had the Sky Flash. Mm-hmm. The Sky Flash was modified to go on the F3, so it was Temp, called Temp Standard, Tornado Essential Modification Program. There's some bits inside that went on, we'll not talk about now. The biggest thing I can talk about was the body was strengthened to take the shock of the punch down by the launchers. Mm-hmm. But effectively, the same missile that the Phantom was going to be firing back at us. Sidewinder, AIM-9L. Exactly the same. Now, in fact, we went to war with the M9 Mike. So we got some Royal Navy Sea Harrier ones. So they had improved flare rejection. But for the bit we're talking about, it was just equal, equal. Where you could argue that the F3 had an edge is we, of course, had the gun permanently. It was integral. Um, Whereas the Phantom, to claim to have a the gun, the, gun, the Su-23, they would have to give up the centre-line tank and have it fitted. Uh, and I should point out, just to be pedantic, the Phantom had a gun, whereas we had a cannon. What's the difference? We, for real, we would be firing explosive rounds. That's the definition of a cannon. Whereas a gun, it's just like a rifle. It's sending out solid rounds, mm-hmm. albeit a lot more from the Phantom than ours. But we had a very accurate cannon, the Mauser 27 millimeter. In fact, just, excuse me a minute here. I just have one. There you go, so, folks. That's, that is a drill round, that's solid. Yeah, it is. And it is a round, not anything else. Anybody might think that is, uh, so I'll put that to one side. Um, yeah, so on the face of it, weapons the same. I say we've got an edge in the radar and situational awareness, and generally that would work at range. Performance-wise, though, Phantom probably better at height. Not that it was great, but it was better than the F3. Low level, we could accelerate better. We could probably regain energy a bit better. So I would generally, while it would round one of the fight, could be pretty equal. I would expect the F3, and we did, come out ahead through superior situational awareness like we knew where they were but they probably didn't know where all of us were because we kind of disappeared out of it the other thing that comes into it and i'll come back when we talk about um later experiences with uh german uh, phantoms the phantoms are smoky even the british phantoms were smoky yeah and if they weren't trailing and they put power out you could see black lines you know from 
a reasonable range, you know, inside 20 miles or something like that. But, and that was a problem for them. Um, the engines were getting old and they did put out a bit of smoke. So that was the, 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 the BVR bit of it. And of course, in any fight, BVR, you're looking for advantage. What's the advantage? Well, primarily, you know where all the enemy are. Two, you're in a you're in a position of advantage situationally. And three, probably most importantly, you've got some rockets going towards him, hopefully before he's got rockets coming towards you. Because the moment he has a rocket coming towards you, and this applies throughout the fight, he has to fight the rocket. And the moment he's fighting the rocket, he's not fighting you, which mm -hmm. means you can now either improve your situation, which might be escape, or you're manoeuvring to a position of greater advantage. So that's what you want BVR-wise. And from that, you make a decision either as a, on your own or with the uh, wingman, or even if it's another uh, two more behind, so it's a four-ship, you collectively make a decision, are we prepared to buy this visual merge? Are we prepared to follow our rockets in? I won't go through all the matrix of it, but you assess the situation, and it comes out yes, no. And if it's yes, we carry on. If it's no, we will do what you call a pump, where you reset back, try and build up the pitch, and then have another go. Or might mm. just say, this is all too difficult, well, let's go home. But generally against the, the Watersham wing in 1990, we were, being, we were going to buy the merge. So we now transition into round two of the boxing match, and we come towards the visual merge. So things, the priorities now are maintain mutual support, maintain your situation awareness, and most importantly, to get into round three, pick up the tally, tally ho, which is visual contact on the enemy. And not, if there's two of them, you've got to see two before you go into the merge. Mm -hmm. If there's four of them, you need to see all four. Otherwise, the one you don't see is the one that's going to kill you. So that's the important thing. And this is another advantage excuse me, that the F3 had over the Phantom. And that is the radar, when it's got a target either locked or in trackwell scan, um, can present in the HUD what we call a TD circle, target designating circle. And that's a circle that would just lie right over where the radar thinks the target of interest is. Now, admittedly, that's limited to the field of view of the HUD. So it's not that way. It's not showing me stuff way out over yeah. here. It's something in front. The Phantom didn't have anything. The Phantom crews are relying on the navigator in the back, giving a commentary to the pilot. Right, he's going to be 10 left, 10 up, 10 miles or five miles. And the, nav and the pilot's now got to go, mm -hmm, okay, right, okay. Um, yeah. if The F3... If it's the same story, if the aircraft of interest is out beyond the field of view of the HUD. But in the field of view of HUD, I now get a circle and I, on the assumption that the radar is accurate, and that's not that wasn't always the case, got much, much better later on, but we're talking 1990. Hopefully that circle is somewhere close to the aircraft I'm interested mm -hmm. in. <clears throat> what then do is turn the HUD brilliance down. So I could look through it and hopefully I could see the ah, aircraft. Right. So the idea there <clears throat> was I could get tally quicker. 
Now, admitting that's one aircraft, and if we're talking about multiple, then we have other problems. But if we just talk, to keep it simple, just talk one-on-one engagement, I would expect, and we did, get tally first, which is a big advantage. Mm. Now, he could get tally as well as we closed in, but <clears throat> entering the, the visual merge, I've definitely got tally. I get the back seat. Either it's my job then to get the backseater's eyes on, so yeah. it's kind of role reversal, and then we move in. Having got tally, we then manoeuvre with advantage to put in follow-up shots, whether it's another short-range sky flash shot, yeah. or I'm now looking for the sideline. So I've just got a dog arriving at my side here. Um, or if we're going to put in the side, a sidewinder shot. And here comes another advantage between the Phantom and the F3. The Phantom had, uh, as I say, the 9L, but to get the seeker on to a target, it was pretty much on the bore site. So you had to put the nose on towards it. They had, and I think I can see this now because it's well out of thing, something called SEAM, Sidewinder Expanded Acquisition Mode. And what happened was the it got the seeker to do a sort of like a, a petal pattern. It moved itself around a central point, which effectively just increased its field of view. Right. It meant you didn't have to get the absolutely on the bore site. It would might just acquire it earlier um, to give you that chance to get the shot away. Now, the F3 completely different. I had the ability to manoeuvre the seeker to its gimbal limits on a hand controller mm. down here. Yeah. So I could slow it. But the prob- that sounds brilliant. But the problem is I had no confidence or could have no confirmation that it had acquired the target that I wanted and it wasn't some glint of cloud or the sun or something unless the target was in the HUD. So while it's quite expansive... Again, I'm limited to the field of view of the HUD, but it's more than the Phantom had. Mm. Down, because the field of view was not square. It was rectangular, and it was longer in height. So I can see in the HUD much more in terms of pitch angle right. uh, than I can in azimuth, but I can, but I can see more than the Phantom had because he had nothing. In a gun sight, the Phantom pilot had a gun sight, had no symbology at all. It was all audio based on the fact that the target is somewhere near the gun sight, which is where the sidewinder was looking. Yeah. Give or take. <clears throat> so I've got in the F3 the chance of getting the acquisition earlier through this slewing. Uh, so again, in round two, the F3s had the advantage already through the increased situational awareness, early tally, and the ability to get the sidewinder seeker slewed onto the target quicker than the uh, F4 could. We could also do it on a radar lock. I could the navigator could lock it, lock the target up, and the seeker would, would oh. the sidewinder seeker would be slave to the radar. I could select slave to the radar and round it would just point in that same direction. And then again, if we could hear the tone, I would enable it and the rocket is away oh, yeah. within the field of view. So the the ability to get rockets off in round two, again, lay with the tornado, just through the improved weapon system. <clears throat> then we move into the round three, the, uh, as I say, the sexy bit. Mm-hmm. Maneuvering-wise, Neither of them were were agile. I'm not going to make any bones about it. 
but they were both what we call rate fighters, so they were interested in degrees per second round the compass dial. Okay, so trying to get your nose round the compass dial as quickly as possible, quicker than your opponent. Whereas a radius fighter, and the most prevalent around those days was the F-16, is interested in tight circles. So he's going to keep the fight tight, whereas rate fighters um, need to, um, would be thinking about a wider fight, but bringing the nose round quicker. Excuse mm-hmm. me, can I have a quick. Um, Phantoms tended to use the vertical more. That was their, they, they felt more comfortable and there was rolling maneuvers and stuff like that in visual. The F3 <coughs> tended to rate to base, was the, ter- was the term we used, which is a max rate turn using whatever height you had um, to, uh, again, get your nose round towards the the uh, opposition to get a rocket away. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's on the offensive side. Talked about what we could do with the sidewinder. Also in the visual fight, <clears throat> it was limited. It was much more developed later on, but I had some air-to-air modes for the or, um, pilot air-to-air modes for the radar, so I could achieve a lot quicker because <clears throat> locking in the back is difficult in a dynamic situation, and that applied to the Phantom as well as the Tornado. Whereas, again, if I could use the HUD, I could get a radar lock quite quickly. And and as long as I didn't pull the rug away from the navigator, I would say my radar, and just as he was about to get a lock, that would upset things. But uh, in those days, there was um, basically just one, it was called RAS, Radar radar Acquisition Zone. It was a bit like a, a lozenge, which again was slewable, in the HUD, and if I could get that overlaid on the the opposition, hopefully the radar would lock, and it would have the opposition the op, the opportunity of slaving the sidewinder to it, or probably inside min ranges for um, sky flash. So, and we're talking about the sidewinder. <clears throat> so, in terms of getting nose position on, etc., I would say they were pretty equal, and that's how it worked out. But the improved weapon system of the Tornado gave us generally um, first weapon opportunities in the visual fight. Mm-hmm. Defensively, we're exactly the same. We had chaff, we had flares. So, you know, defending against these um, were about the same. Um, so, summarize RAF Phantoms against the Tornado in 1990. I would say Tornado. Probably edge round one on points. <clears throat> Would definitely take round two and expect to take round three, although there's much more variable in the visual fight. Mm. Uh, things can go wrong. You can lose tally. Everybody can lose tally, even though the <clears throat> tornado canopy was a little bit better than the Phantom. It was still quite a big art, a canopy arch in front of me. Mm. Uh, they only really learned that when they got the um, Typhoon. But, and particularly for the back seat, um, Tornado <coughs> F3 back seaters had much better visibility than uh, Phantom ones. So that's how it kind of all married out. I'm going to say, like, uh, did the, the F4 guys, when you were flying against them, obviously they probably thought like they were better than the, uh, you know, the new F3 guys. How do you feel <coughs> about that? 
Well, we knew uh, we knew a lot of them because you know most yeah. of us were XF4. I hark back to this reputation that the F3 took a long time to shake off, and there was this feeling that <clears throat> it wasn't as good as it should have been. And you're never right, but as I say, we were on an upward uh, curve. Uh, in terms of performance, there was time, you know, at the Gulf War one, there was a lot of words said, you know what, they should have deployed the Phantom. And the only reason they didn't was it would be politically unacceptable and embarrassing. Yeah. You have the new air defence fighter and not, it's not going to war. Yeah. <clears throat> I would say it was a close run thing, but I was happy to be going to war in the F3. I, as I said, right at the start of this, it had overtaken the Phantom. You could argue it should have done that a long time ago. Fair enough. But in 1990, it had. And, of course, it only then accelerated away. And by the time the Phantom went out of service in the RAF, the F-3 was well well above it in terms of operational capability. Absolutely. Um, so there was this bit of aggro. But in actual fact, there was an awful lot of coming together because it was going to war. And, yeah. you know, people were saying, well, this isn't just for bragging rights and happy hour. This is bloody serious. We need to get these guys sorted. So they had the Watershim Wing had a great mentality and they really did help us a lot. So all that kind of, you know, what you would expect on a normal um, flying operation kind of went out the window. And I think you, well, you we're talking like, you know, via email. I think you went up against some uh, German F4s as well. Can you tell us yeah, about like, I, how, the, how their F3 fared against them buggers? Aye. Um, <laughs> that, was, that was a bit later on. It was when um started to get involved in the flag exercises, um, either at um, Nellis or Cold Lake, in fact, was the other one. Um, and the German uh, F4... Ooh, F4Fs, were they? Somebody, somebody watching yeah, this will know. Yeah, I ERF, think they were. So yeah, EF, so I'm not sure. <clears throat> anyway, by that stage, they had got the AMRAM. And we hadn't or were just getting it at that stage. Certainly, they'd got mid-course guidance, so the full AMRAM package, we hadn't got it by then. Now we had to give them respect because round one... And they also had an improved radar as well. Yeah. Round one against the Germans, we had to do a lot of ducking and diving um, mm. if we were going to get to round two. So they probably had the edge through the weapon. But even more so, the J-79s smoked like... Oh, yeah. Elio. So again, you could see the German Phantoms coming from a long way out. Not that that's going to protect you, but it improves your situation awareness. By that stage, we had the, <clears throat> I think we had the Ashram by then, and that gave us a step up when we came to round three. Again, I, I'm not familiar with the avionics of the German uh, Phantoms, but my memory was transitioning to the visual. We didn't really have too many problems. We had good, again, situational awareness. By this stage, we're now stage two or stage three radars and they really are um uh, performing well so our situational awareness was always high going in uh, and the germans didn't really do a lot of visual maneuvering right. they tended to hot rod in shooting whatever yeah. they've got you know bursting onto the scene like gangbusters 
mm-hmm. and then disappearing stage left yeah. very quickly. <laughs> um, that that was my my experience. I'm not saying that was the exclusive um, tactics of the Luftwaffe at that stage, but that was generally it. So they tended not to turn. So <clears throat> if we were going to get follow-up shots, particularly in the stern, we had to turn quickly or, or they would be gone because mm. um, they would come in with a lot of speed <clears throat> and not lose any of it because they're not really turning. Whereas we would have to spend energy to turn 180 degrees or whatever it would be. Um, so round three with the Germans, i.e. visual manoeuvring, tended to be over quite quickly. Um, right. And then it went back to the debrief to find out, well, were you still alive when you came into the merge or were mm. there valid shots against you? You know, And that's something without an ACMI. And of course, we did on red flag have that, but not in maple flag. Did we? I can't remember now. I'm not sure. Maybe we did. It doesn't matter. It mm-hmm. all had to wait. There was certainly in, in Maple Fly, there were no real-time controllers calling you out. In Red Flag, they try and call particular jets yeah. out when they get a valid shot, um, which does improve things because you're not now fighting somebody who is actually dead. It's starting to sound a, a bit like uh, a kid's game of cowboys and Indians, bang, bang, you're dead. No, I'm not. Yeah. It kind of muddles the picture and the learning points if your tactic has taken somebody out, but they're still there fighting you, because for real, he wouldn't be, and you can carry on to the next task, whichever that would be. Um, so anyway, that's that's the complexities of multi-element fights that hopefully technology nowadays, um, and I'm not sure how the typhoons work it now, um, but real-time kill removal is one of the holy grails. And short of actually firing real rockets and seeing a fireball, you know, the yeah. <laughs> peacetime, you've got to say, well, that's how yeah. you came out of the fight, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, that's the difference between what I had saw of the RAF Phantoms in the early 90s versus maybe late 90s, early 2000s against the German Phantoms. And whether that difference would have been there anyway, I don't know, but I, that was the time period that I I saw. Uh, both times, happy with the F3. Well, brilliant, Roy. Well, thank you very much for coming on this interview and, uh, yeah, hopefully you, you guys enjoyed it. So thank you very much. No bother. See you again. <laughs>